Well, as you may know, I don't come from around here. Not ethnically, anyway. I was brought up in a different culture to this, but one that had a great respect for our elders and a huge respect for God. My friends and I, when we were growing up, had lots of good times together, lots of memorable days out. Very often at the weekend, we'd meet up and just wander around the town. Or sometimes we'd go and watch a match. One particular day, it was quite a few years ago now, we'd been out actually all night. We'd been out celebrating an amazing game. It wasn't a good result for us, but it was, we were in high spirits anyway. We hadn't realised the time. And by the time we were setting off for home, the sun was rising. There were four of us, myself, David, Ben and Josh. I'd known them all since I was at school. We were a similar age, but I was the youngest. We were making our way back to our end of town and still singing a few of our team songs. Well, you may not call it singing, but God is into high spirits. When we came across a crowd, a crowd that was moving in a certain direction, we suddenly, it wasn't, I thought, first of all, maybe it's a festival, one of our religious festivals that was taking place but this was an angry crowd a crowd that was shouting yelling horrible things harlot I heard someone say whore said someone else then this big guy turned around and with a yell said pick up your stones lads we've got a lynching well Josh who was in front of us tried asking what's going on Pure trash, someone said. Caught red-handed in adultery. But what about, what about him? What about the bloke, said Josh, as someone was pushing me from behind. And all the time, we were being driven in a direction. It seemed we were being driven towards the temple courtyard. What about the bloke, Josh shouted back. Where is he? The guy in front turned round. It's a bit different for blokes, mate. And his mate turned round, beer can still in hand, and said, yeah. It's a bit different for us with a wry grin that said everything. Look, someone suddenly said. I followed their finger through the crowd, through the mayhem of bodies. And sure enough, there on the temple steps was a group of men and a woman. She was, it looked almost half naked. Her shawl and even her underclothes had been badly torn. I couldn't see her face because her hair was such a mess. She had her head bent low. She knew what was coming. And there was a group of men. They were our teachers, the Pharisees. People I have huge respect for. Turns out they caught her red-handed. Red-handed in the act of adultery. A lot of people already had stones and rubble. They must have picked them up as we were being moved along. Now I know what you might be thinking. You're probably thinking... This all sounds a bit barbaric, doesn't it? But you have to understand, this was our law. This is our law. Passed down through Moses, generation after generation. Yet, sometimes I think our laws were harsh. But then God has a special place for our people. A special purpose. And we have to keep ourselves pure, different from everybody else. Without our law, we'd just be the same as the Gentiles, as pagans. Our law is everything. But then suddenly, suddenly, it all went quiet. 
And there he was. Rabboni, rabbi, teacher, people had different names for him. The man from Galilee. I had not seen him before, but some of the other lads had. Some said he was a healer and a teacher. Some said he'd done miracles. Some said he was a troublemaker. Definitely a controversial figure. Anyway, this rabbi walked along the steps towards the woman and paused. He may have said something to her, I couldn't tell. There was so much going on. But she looked at him just for a moment. And just in that moment, I caught sight of her face. It was cut and blackened. She was obviously still crying. And then one of our teachers at the front, one I'd known for many years, a Pharisee, spoke up. Teacher, he said, almost sarcastically as the words fell from his lips. Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said we must stone her. What do you say? Well, look, I know, as I've said, it's not easy to obey our laws, but they were given to us by Moses. And we all knew the punishment for a sin of this magnitude. There's only one punishment. Anyway, strangest thing, the rabbi didn't say anything. He actually went and sat down next to the woman and he started doodling in the dirt with his finger. Really odd. And our teachers didn't like it. A bit disrespectful, if you ask me. So they said it a second time and a third time. Teacher, what do you say? I could see they were getting a bit impatient. But then the rabbi, this rabboni, stood up. But instead of answering the question, he came towards us in the crowd. And he looked at us. And I don't know... But other people said the same thing afterwards as he looked at us. It was like he was staring straight at me as he spoke. You all know the law. This woman must be stoned, he said. Fair enough, I thought. But then he went on. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone those words honestly those words it was like someone kicked me in the stomach somehow I just felt that this man looking at me knew everything about me each of his words pierced me one after another I just stood there looking back at him looking at me and suddenly suddenly this wasn't a good place to be It felt all wrong. In fact, in a really strange way, everything I'd ever done felt wrong all over again. It was though all the things I'd done wrong in my life, all the sins I'd committed, I'd suddenly done today. And this man, somehow, knew. Took me a moment to say anything. I was so taken. Meanwhile, the rabbi had gone back to drawing lines in the sand with his finger. So I just said, guys, I think we need to go. It's not right to be here. I turned round and they'd gone already. They hadn't even said anything. They'd just quietly sloped off. In fact, nearly everybody had gone. There was just me 
and a few lads my age and a few younger. I started walking away. I paused and looked back once more. The teachers, the Pharisees, they'd all gone as well. There was just the two of them left, the rabbi and the woman. The rabbi went over and spoke to her. Now, I couldn't hear what he said, but later I came to know what he'd said. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? He said. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. She works down at the bazaar now, Leah or Leah, that's her name. She runs a stall there. I talk to her sometimes. She's cheerful, often very thoughtful. Lots of people look the other way when they walk past her stall. But not us, not us who were there that day, because we know. We're just the same. So we're going to uh, step through um, this passage in uh, John chapter 8 uh, in a minute. Um, I will mention, first of all, that not all of the earliest manuscripts of John's gospel have this passage. And so we're not sure why it was added soon afterwards. Perhaps it was added on recollection. But nevertheless, it's there in our Bibles today. Uh, there is great insight and great teaching from Jesus. So we take it seriously. I have a question for you, though, before we start, which is, what is the sin, the one sin, that Jesus never forgave? The one sin that Jesus actually never forgave. There's no record of him forgiving. Don't have to answer. Unless you... We'll come to it. Thank you. Hypocrisy, two or three people have said. The one sin that Jesus never forgave. Why, why is that? Why is that? Let's just uh, look at this passage briefly together then. Some of these verses, this is in its original. Um, so verses 1 to 4, the first paragraph or so then. So it's early, there's already a disturbance at dawn. He appeared, Jesus appears in the temple courts where all the people are gathered around him. Sorry, all the people gathered around him and he sat to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to them, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to uh, have a basis for accusing him. First question I think that should occur to us is, you don't commit adultery on your own, right? So where's the man? Nowhere to be seen, it seems. But the, ver the question to Jesus is literally a trap, isn't it? It's one of those, have you stopped beating your spouse type questions. Whatever you say, you're caught out. Whatever you say, you're wrong. And if Jesus had said, stone this woman, A, it would appear unmerciful, and uh, he would also be breaking Roman law. But if he said, just let her go, he would be breaking the Jewish law. But Jesus... So, so the trap has been primed, the bait has been set, this woman, what will happen next? Well, odd thing is, uh, Jesus takes a stick, I'll just read it, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. <clears throat> 
So what was he writing in the dirt? Lots of people have hypothesized and um, imagined what Jesus might have been writing. Perhaps only the woman could see this. The best answer I've ever heard was uh, actually on the talk at the Baptist Assembly this year, a brilliant talk, where a chap was recounting a Sunday school teacher who said to the young people, what could Jesus have been writing? Go away and think about it. And they all went away, and the prize was given to one young person who came back and said, maybe Jesus was writing to the woman, because she was the one who could see. If this doesn't work, run! (laughs) Maybe not. But a good answer, though, right? But then in this bolt out of the blue, Jesus says to the crowd, if any of you is without sin, let them be the first to throw a stone at her. If any of you has never done anything wrong in your life, you should be the first person to pick up a brick and throw it, because that is your duty. That is your right. He doesn't disagree with the charge, does he? But he challenges their attitude in bringing the charge. He doesn't disagree with the charge, but he deeply challenges their attitude of heart in bringing this charge. He, in fact, brings them face to face with their own lives. And again, uh, giving them time to consider their actions, Jesus is saying, sure, sure, according to the law, you're right. There's no, you're absolutely right. But before you do that, before you stone her, just think about a few things. Think about the things that you've done wrong. Think about the things that are wrong in your heart. Think about the lust for blood that's in your heart right now. Shouldn't you be stoned? The impact was huge and entirely unpredictable. The older ones leave first because they understood what was going on here. They understood the meaning the quickest. But everyone knew in his heart that he was unworthy. And we see here, mercy, contri- mercy triumphs over judgment. So we've stepped through the passage. What's the point of this story? Then let's just spend a few minutes looking at the main point of this story. Because the main point of this story is not, is not as many people have said, the woman caught in adultery. Even our Bible editors have somehow sometimes put that as a heading, the woman caught in adultery. That is not the point of this story. As N.T. Wright has said, this story should actually be called the men caught in hypocrisy. That's what this is about. Jesus says so. And that's good enough for him. It should be good enough for us. This is the men caught in hypocrisy. Which, according to Jesus, is much worse. Get this. Listen to this. Jesus has no problem with sinners. Jesus has no problem with sinners. Check the Gospels. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has no problem with people who've done things wrong and come to him. He only has a problem with people who re- refuse to accept they've done anything wrong. They, they could even be in the wrong. Jesus has no problem with people who mess up. Go check it out. Tax collectors, sex workers, thieves... They're all in the Gospels. Anyone who comes to Jesus and admits they've messed up and wants to put things right is welcomed in grace. Zacchaeus the cheat, the woman prostitute, the thief on the cross, they're all there and more. They all come in sorrow, but their hearts want to be right. And Jesus loves that. Jesus welcomes that with open heart, with open arms. In contrast, Jesus always had a problem with people caught in hypocrisy. Always. People who can't admit to error can't be forgiven. Because they can't admit to error. 
And the Gospels are full of warnings on hypocrisy. I, haven't, I have not looked at this in detail, but I reckon there's probably more warnings against hypocrisy than anything else in the New Testament, as a, as a guess. Think about some of the things that Jesus has said. Why do you, why do you uh, look at the speck in your brother's eye and say, let me take out that little speck in your eye when there's a great big plank in your own eye? Sort your own eye out first, then you might see clearly to help your brother. Matthew chapter 7, again. Don't judge others, or God, don't be quick to judge others, or God will be quick to judge you. In, this, in the way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the rule that you measure others, it will be measured to you. You will be measured in the same way. And, but perhaps the, the, the most telling, most plain uh, words of Jesus against hypocrisy is found in Matthew 23. Here in Matthew 23, he starts by talking, talking to the Pharisees about the fact that they strain gnats but swallow camels. They used to put a Muslim skin over their cup when they poured the water in to make sure no insects, no gnats could get in. And Jesus says, you guys, you're straining gnats and swallowing camels. He says, in fact, Matthew 23 contains the most angry, vitriolic, poisoned words that ever came from the mouth of Jesus. The most angry, condemnatory words of Jesus are found in this one chapter. Go check it out. He says, you guys are like a brood of vipers. You're like a den of snakes. You guys are like whitewashed tombs, all looking fine in your, in your Sunday best, but inside, full of decaying corpses, bright and whitewashed on the outside, but inside, full of decaying corpses. You hypocrites, he says again and again. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. And who is this aimed at? Who is he talking about? It's not the sex workers. It's not the tax collectors. It's not the thieves. It's not the thief on the cross or the woman caught in adultery. They're the very people that Jesus chooses to hang out with. They all know they have issues. That's why they come to Jesus. No, the most angry, vitriolic words of Jesus are directed towards the religious hardliners. The religious hardliners, those who claim we've got it all worked out, we're the chosen ones anyway, we must always be in the right, and it doesn't really matter what we do. See, in this passage, Jesus replaces the two presumed categories of people, sinners, the sinners and the righteous, which is what people thought. There's two types of people, the sinners and the righteous, with two new groups of people. People who know they've sinned and admit it and people who don't admit they've sinned. That's the two groups that he brings us to. The only sin that Jesus was never able to forgive in the Gospels is hypocrisy. That's the only sin that he's never forgiven. Why is that? Why is that? Every other sin, every other wrongdoing, Jesus was quick to forgive when people came to him. Theft, cheating, adultery, promiscuity. Once people come with open hearts, penitent hearts. Why is hypocrisy so hard to forgive? Because we don't want to know that we're doing it. That's, the, that's what hypocrisy is. We don't accept that anything we might be doing or saying could be wrong. We must be right. Can't accept that anything we do, that we're doing could be unjust, unfair, or incorrect. We're so convinced of our own righteousness, so, so convinced that others have the problem. So here's a question, another question. Could we ever fall into hypocrisy? Well, I hope you don't answer no, because that's the hypocritical answer. <laughs> it's 
Chancellor. So could we ever fall into hypocrisy? Of course we can. Of course we can. And we sometimes do, don't we? Anyone who calls themselves religious but doesn't practice what they preach is a hypocrite. Sadly, the world regards the church as hypocritical, doesn't it? Often. And even more sadly, that can be true. That can be true. Or people who say, I like to hear the teachings of Jesus. I love that. But I don't really need to follow the teachings of Jesus. They apply to these people and these people. Or when we pick up metaphorical stones to throw at our brothers and sisters because we think which might be evil talk, slander or, or, or gossip about them when we're doing the same. We often think, we often are quick to judge other people and their bad behavior, aren't they? And a question that I was once, once heard a, in a sermon has always stayed with me, which is, why, am, why do I always compare my best behavior with their worst behavior? Why don't I compare their best behavior with my worst behavior? And perhaps the funniest one, where sometimes we sit there in a sermon, I hope you're not doing this, sit there in a sermon and think, I'm bloody easy, he really, he really needs to hear this. I'm bloody easy. <laughs> she's really, really needs to hear shit on the third row. I hope she's listening. I hope she's getting this. She needs this. Are you listening? Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But we do, I, I think we say that. I, I've, I've fallen into every one of these. But the, this sermon might be for you. It might be entirely for you. It might be precisely for you at this moment and last week's, and next week's. Friends, I have fallen into every one of those, for sure, and sometimes I still do. And I think, if you're honest, we all do sometimes. But as long as we make ourselves correctable, as long as we accept that others might be right, and I might be in the wrong, and this sermon might be for me, <laughs> more than anybody, then... The way of grace is always open. The way back to Jesus is always open. God loves it when we recognize something that's wrong in our hearts and come to him and ask for forgiveness. God is always welcoming us back. The penitent prayer who won't lift his head up to God. The prodigal son who turns around and comes back. The child who's not yet learned hypocrisy. And Jesus says, this child is the greatest among you. Jesus always welcomes us back when we turn back. Saying sorry to God is important. Saying sorry to each other is just as important and much harder, I think. I don't know about you. I find it really easy to say sorry to God, right? First of all, I can't see him. And secondly, he's so much greater than me. I find that quite easy, to be honest. Saying sorry to other people, I find really hard. Because I can see you. I'm not sure you are better than me. You know, it's much harder, isn't it, with each other? The two hardest words in the English language to say. I'm sorry. But if we're not to be caught in hypocrisy, we have to learn to say them. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the poor in spirit. People who fully admit that they have no other way, no other option. God loves everyone. The adulterer, the thief, he, he loves everyone. The same. But we have to make room in our heart for him. And in the heart of a hypocrite, there is no room for God. Because their heart is already full of themselves. It's already occupied. There's no room there. The way to God is always open. And the good news is, the, the, the news of grace is, God always welcomes back those who accept they haven't got it all right. 
the penitent prayer, the prodigal son, the child, who Jesus says is the greatest. This is our gospel, the gospel of grace. The good news to those who, who know that they need to hear it. You've got to know that you need it. There's always a way back for, for us when we can accept that we're in the wrong. Let's just uh, close this. So, um, And uh, this is actually on the tour next week. Uh, day four, so I didn't tell you this at the start because it was a 300-word short version of this sermon. I thought if I tell you that, you'll just read the 300 words and not listen. But um, <laughs> this is still a story of a man and a man and a woman caught in adultery, and Jesus never condones that. Ethics do matter. Jesus doesn't say it's okay. Don't worry about it. He says stop doing this. But with our God, grace comes first. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, just about run out of time, but have you got, uh, uh, is it okay if I take two or three more minutes and tell you a story? Just a quick one, okay? Two people at the front said it's okay. <laughs> Caught by surprise and feeling very uncomfortable, they said it's fine. To go. But um, as churches, we can be hypocritical as well. Uh, and I'm, I'll refer to another church, but uh, we used to go to a church which actually Ralph uh, went to years before in Mossside Wally Range called St. Edmunds. And Alison and I and a third chap, a West Indian lad, we ran the youth there for many years. And it was, a, it, was a, it was an impoverished church in the Faith in the City report in 1985 from the C of E. It was down as the most deprived parish in England. I'm not sure it's the most deprived, but anyway, it, it wasn't great. We didn't have money uh, to do much. And we wanted to start a youth club. Uh, with table tennis and pool and that kind of thing. We couldn't afford to buy equipment. I think it's probably before we got married, and we didn't have much money either. But we had to find people who would give us equipment for free, people who, would, uh, who had no more use for it. So we drove all around Greater Manchester. Remember, we went up to Bury or Wigan or somewhere to pick up a table tennis table one night, put ropes around it, put it on top of Alison's Fiesta, and we drove back to Wally Range. And we built this youth club up, and we opened it up, and at the same time... Uh, we had a mission, uh, a mission to that area of Mossad and Wally Range, and uh, some people came into church, and one family in particular came in, and they were parents, and the five, five lads, five boys, that lived on the estate in Mossad. They were outcasts of that estate, actually. They used to have eggs and excrement thrown against their door. And they came to our church, uh, and, and initially I thought, this is great. The, the lads came to the youth club, but they absolutely... They wrecked our youth club. They would, they would cause fights. They started breaking the equipment. And, and that really hurt me. I thought, we, we've really worked hard to build this. And, you know, I actually went down a chat with Rector Bob and said, you know, what can we do? Because we can't just let this... He said... And I, I was all for saying to them, sorry, this youth club isn't for you, is it? But Bob said to me, he said, Chris, if we do a mission, we can't tell God to bring in we can't go back and say thank you Lord but could you send some nice families please who don't do this we can't do that we have to look after what we have but God welcomes everyone and that was a moment of hypocrisy for me to say I cared more about the table tennis table and the pool table than I did about these kids let's pray Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we, we come to you, Lord, sometimes. Help us, Lord, to come to you when our hearts are hardened, when we are quick to judge others, when we are quick to see what other people are doing wrong, when we believe that we're always in the right and others aren't. Lord, we pray, Lord, soften our hearts, Lord. 
I pray, Lord, for soft hearts and thick skins. Soft hearts, Lord, towards others and thick skins towards what we uh, have to put up with sometimes as a community. Thank you, Lord, that you are always welcoming us back. You are always welcoming us, Lord, with grace and in grace back to you. That is our gospel. That is why you came to die on the cross, to welcome us back, Lord. May we be a people that always turns back when we need to turn to you and that welcomes others to do the same, whoever they are, wherever they are from. Lord, I just pray today and this week, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be a people of grace, bringing and sharing, Lord, the grace of the cross, the grace, Lord, that welcomes us back, whoever we are, whatever we've done. Lord, make us that people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.